Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Also, Premier Ortho, a division of Premier Healthcare, helping people living with injuries and chronic back, spine, or joint pain to get back on their feet. Premier Ortho, 333-1933. Online at mypremierortho.com. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. Today we're going to talk about issues uh, with crowding or overcrowding at the uh, jail here in Monroe County and uh, the crowding in jails elsewhere as well. If uh, if you want to call us today, you can talk to th- our three guests who are here in the studio. I'll give you the numbers in a minute. Our guests are Monroe County Sheriff Jim Kennedy, who's back for the second time in a few months because we had him on a program earlier about uh, the new gun laws in the state. We also have Monroe County Public Defender Michael Hunt and a member of Decarcerate Monroe County, Aaron Marshall. The phone numbers are 855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free, 877-285-9348. And the web address is wfiu.org slash noon edition. You can go there for a live chat and send in questions or comments. Just join the discussion at the website. So thank you all for being here. Thanks. Thank you. Jim, thanks for being back. It's my pleasure, Bob. We didn't chase you away after that last appearance. And, Michael, good to have you and Aaron here as well. Um, We have uh, actually some – this is a timely show because uh, there was a cap on the number of people who could be in Monroe County Jail uh, that was to uh, basically expire, I think, last week. And uh, the sheriff, uh, Sheriff Kennedy, asked for – recommended a one-year extension to the cap. And you just told me that yesterday you learned that the extension had been granted. That's correct. It was issued the 30th of uh, September, and we learned of it yesterday. So can you just explain to me what this, um, what this is, this, this cap? The cap really is a, uh, an agreement between – it's a private agreement between Monroe County Sheriff and other office holders and the ACLU who represented one individual who in turn represented a class. And in uh, February of 2008 – Uh, A case was filed, a lawsuit, in federal court, Southern District of Indiana, in front of Judge Young, who was the chief judge, by the way, for that district. Uh, The notice of the class went out uh, approximately uh, 9, September of 2009. An order was issued that uh, said that the agreement was okay with the federal courts. Uh, And the federal courts, by the way, could not have put a cap on the federal court by himself. uh, He would have to have a three-judge panel and so forth because the Federal uh, Prison Litigation Reform Act did a lot of things to what the courts could do and and put some uh, steps in the way. So the agreement worked well for both the class, worked well for the jail uh, in terms of uh, my administrators and so forth. So we have it extended for another year. And the agreement was? Well, there are several steps in it. Once we reach 244 people in the secure bed area of the jail, we have to notify the commissioners, the council, uh, the courts are notified, but uh, the the attorney for the ACLU gets a daily population report for us, by the way. It's issued every morning at 5 a.m. And uh, we then have to start notifying the courts, and they have to start working to reduce the population in the secure bed area. The number of 248, then we have another activity we have to engage in, and we get to 258 for more than three days in a one-week period. I have to start moving them to other Indiana jails, which really is not... Uh, it's not realistic. There's only one jail we could find as of yesterday that has room, and that's uh, 130 miles north of here. Oh, my. How many people are in the jail today? Today, 234. 234, so you're under the cap. Quite today, a bit, you're, you're yes, under. and that's total. That's not mm-hmm. secure beds. Secure beds, it's only uh, 190. Let me give you a real quick number. Secure beds, 197, so we're well under it. And we've told our listeners this before, but let's talk about how many uh, people the 
prisoners the jail was originally intended to house? Uh, 124 when it was built in 1986. So uh, it, there. Yeah, there are a lot of people. You're double bunking, right? That's what really allowed you to, since, to add uh, more people. Yeah, since I've been sheriff, we've added double bunks where it's possible to do that. Uh, my predecessor did it partially. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've done that. We've expanded the trustee areas. I've added a woman's detox facility. We've added a program dormitory for the new leaf, new life people. Uh, so we're up now to 287 total beds. Mm-hmm. But those are not all secure beds in terms of we can't count the trustee area. We can't count the new LEAF, new life program area. And I also started a women's trustee program, which they had never had before. Okay. Aaron, can you tell us what decarcerate Monroe County is? Yes, we are a local coalition challenging the belief that cages, coercion, and confinement keep our community safe. We believe that people are safe when they have their basic needs met and when they feel empowered and free. We came together in spring of 2008, um, the last time the county had a proposal to build a new jail, and we were in opposition to that. Um, And once that um, proposal was abandoned in late summer 2009, we stayed together and have continued to focus on a variety of issues related to incarceration. Mm -hmm. So you uh, you you are interested in, in alternatives to incarceration, I assume? We are interested in alternatives to incarceration, but also um, in intervening before it gets to the point that that folks are ever anywhere near the justice system. Mm -hmm. We're interested in looking at the root causes for reasons that people make decisions that get them in jail Mm -hmm. and trying to address those root causes and Mm -hmm. make changes there. So give give us an example of one thing you'd be interested in trying to address. Well... Um, education, employment, mm-hmm. poverty, a lot of these things are linked to reasons that people um, become incarcerated. There is a strong link, link between um, low literacy and rates to crime. There's also strong links between low, liter- low literacy and um, availability of jobs, being able to find um, employment. And 70% of prisoners fall into the lowest two levels of reading proficiency. So if we could maybe redirect some of the funds locally that are used to fund the justice system, 59% of the county's budget goes to fund the justice system. If we could maybe redirect some of that into education, we would probably see a great difference in the number of people that we have incarcerated mm-hmm. locally and on a state and federal level. Okay. Now, Michael Hunt, Michael's been the public defender for how many years as long as I've been editor or longer, longer, I'm sure. 30, 38, I think. 38, yeah, I've only got... 30, 30, no, I've only got like 26 in, so 38, yeah. You are a man uh, who has seen it all. <laughs> so so I think you really, uh, you've got uh, certainly, a, a, you've seen a lot. You've got a lot of experience in working with the, the justice system. So I guess I want to ask you a very sort of general question about, you know, what Aaron said about intervening early and some of the issues that, uh, you know, if you could address issues of education and poverty and some of those issues, it might keep more people out of the jail. But how, you know, how talk about the balance between being able to do that and the need for, you know, a, a jail, a secure facility, and just, you know, how realistic is it that we're going to, you know, shut down the jail anytime soon or at least, you know, be able to hold it to the, the number of people that it was originally intended for? That's a, I mean, very, very general. You can basically talk about whatever you want in this area <laughs> with a question like that. I don't think it's realistic we're going to, to decrease the number of people in jail. I, I think the goals that Aaron talks about are, are uh, laudable. Um, I, I find it difficult to believe that you're going to take uh, – that we take money out of the justice system locally and put it into some literacy thing that's going to help. You know, on a national level, maybe you could do that kind of thing, but I don't think that's going to work here. You know, um, there are probably some – and we're talking about different things. I mean, we can talk about people making bond and getting that jail pending trial, or you can talk about just not putting people in jail for whatever – For crime, certain things. For yeah. certain things. Mm-hmm. But there are always going to be some people that, that I think society will demand be locked up uh, – under the rubric of protecting society. 
So, mm-hmm. right. Okay. I want to give our phone numbers again before we ha- – we've actually had a couple of calls that our producers have forwarded on to us, a couple of uh, questions. Phone number is 855-0811-877-285-9348 and WFIU.org slash Noon Edition is where you can join, uh, join a live chat on this topic. Um, we have had a couple of people who are producers of, have forwarded these questions from. One is? Uh, Mary. Mary. Is there a process for inmates who are detoxing? Well, the process is usually time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's uh, they're checked for the level of uh, intoxication when they come in. If they're above point two five blood alcohol content, they go to the hospital. You only check for alcohol. Do we check? Oh. You only check for alcohol. Is that correct? That's all we can do. Right. That's yeah. Well, th- that's not quite true. We also the intake officers are also trained uh, in certain minimal uh, situations to detect mental health issues mm-hmm. and other issues involving health. Uh, the overriding principle is we take prisoners, not patients. So if we mm. have somebody who's uh, obviously shows sign of severe flu or something like that, I don't want them in the facility because now we have a huge problem with contagion, which will spread not just throughout the jail but throughout the entire justice building. So we send them to the hospital. Uh, once the hospital clears them, if they're, uh, they are cleared, they come back to the jail and then they're put in the detox facility. Uh, the judges uh, a few weeks ago issued an order that once they have reached a level of sobriety, I can then release them. And that has helped uh, to keep the detox situation down to a bare minimum. Now, this other question is really related to this because it says what are inmates' access to health care? The second part is education. Well, let's talk about health care first because sure. you're talking about how somebody's got you know bad flu symptoms. You don't want them in there. Well, I have nursing support 116 hours a week. Uh, There's also a physician who comes in once a week, and all these people are available 24-7 by phone call. If we have somebody who's really ill and nobody's there from a medical facility, which is a contract service, we just call an ambulance and have them taken to the hospital immediately. Mm -hmm. Well, let's go to the second part of that question, which is about education. So what kind of access do inmates have to education? All right. We sponsor, the the correctional facility sponsors a GED program for which we pay for. Uh, We also have one employee that we, we have contracted with. And New Leaf, New Life, a citizens volunteer group, helps us out with that as well. So the GED is there as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Erin, um, I had a question for you. Oh, why are you going after? Why is your group going after money targeted for the justice? Um, well, what's the right word? System. system I, yeah, yeah, system. I guess. And as opposed to working with existing social service agencies and education providers, we have actually worked with existing social service agencies in the past. Um, some of these folks are part of the group, and they have a voice, and, um, you know, we're all trying to, to work together to come up with creative solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, however, we do believe that it's a fundamental violation of human rights to have people in cages. And so with there being 59 percent of the county budget used um, towards the justice system, which is about $17 million, um, there are ways that we could trim the number of people who are incarcerated locally by trimming that budget and, and changing some rules and some laws around um, who is arrested and who is incarcerated. So your group doesn't believe that people take action knowing what the consequence is and that they will, in fact, be incarcerated or put in a cage if they do something that is against the law? I wouldn't say that. I would say that um, that a lot of the blame for these decisions is put on the individuals who make those decisions without regard for what their situation is mm-hmm. and for what things are factoring into the choices that they are making. Extenuating circumstances like lack of education right. or that, as you right. mentioned earlier. Lack of health care, substance um, use or abuse issues, addiction. Well, I think we've had conversations on this program before about the you know number of people that are have alcohol issues, alcohol abuse issues. Um, we know, uh, I know Sheriff Kennedy has seen multiple generations of families that have wound up in in the system. So we'll talk about that a little bit more. I do want to go back to Michael Hunt for a minute because I think sometimes uh, I I assume that everybody you know knows 
things like what the public defender's office mm. does. And I think it's probably worth having Michael explain, you know, who his uh, client base is and what the public defender's office is, is responsible for. Okay. Um, when someone is accused of a crime, they uh, go to court, whether they're summoned in or whether they're arrested and then taken before the judge. The judge gives, uh, tells them what they're charged with and tells them, asks them if they're going to hire a counsel. They don't have to. Uh, they can do that or represent themselves or have an attorney appointed and that our office then becomes involved and the judge makes some inquiry into their um, financial situation, whether they have dependents, whether they have a job, uh, how much money they have, that type of thing. Um, determines whether they should, whether they can hire their own attorney and that can be based on the crime. Obviously an attorney to defend a murder case is a lot more than defend a public intoxication case. The judge makes that determination and if um, the judge determines that they're eligible for our office, they appoint our office and then send us the paperwork and we get the case um, and then take that just like the normal attorney. Now obviously we don't get a lot of, let's say, high-profile uh, drug um, dealing cases because somehow those people tend to have some money somewhere. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, so we get we get a wide variety, and it, it's um, kind of limited to the type of crimes that occur in this county. Mm-hmm. And we take it from there, and we try to do as good a job as, as a private attorney could do within the confines of the budget. Uh, we can't fly in a witness from California. We might give them a bus ticket, mm-hmm. uh, so that type of thing. So and who wouldn't want to jump on a bus from California to Indiana? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> well, Matt, before we go to the phones, because we've got a couple of calls, I want you to – I'd like for you to um, – we'll address a little bit of what Aaron was talking about. I mean, what percentage of, of the clients that you get would you say have some drug or alcohol issues that they're trying to deal with? Oh, a lot. Yeah. I, I don't know, 90 percent or something. Yeah. I mean, a lot. And, and, and whether that's – responsible for the the situation then or whether that's just a factor yeah it's, it's hard mm-hmm. to tell mm-hmm. okay we have a couple calls or actually we have one left now jill jill's on the phone jill hello hello jill go ahead hi um this question is for the sheriff okay and um my question is as a member of the community who interacts with top populations directly affected by issues of the jail such as overcrowding um, how do you feel your punitive role is perceived differently than, say, Ms. Marshall's, who, whose role is non-punitive? Thank you. Okay. Thanks. We don't have a punitive role. We have a caretaker role, and we're not uh, overcrowded. We're well under our bed uh, population limit. Mm-hmm. So, uh, again, I think the question had to do with whether you know having someone in jail is a punishment, and in terms of the local jail... Do you have people there who are sentenced, a lot of people who are sentenced to the local jail, or are you just taking people before they're sentenced elsewhere? That's the difference between a jail and a prison. We, the majority of our uh, population right now are people awaiting trial. They are not serving time. It's a very small percentage, actually, it's serving time. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So, again, our phone number is 855-0811-877-285-9348 and WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. I drove by the jail. I think it was, I don't know, over the weekend there was a sign uh, posted across the jail that said, We Are Watching. Was your group responsible for that? Or Yeah, we were. Tell us about that. Well, we had a march on Saturday to recognize the expiration of the ACLU settlement and the expiration of the cap on the jail um, and to call attention to conditions inside the jail, why the lawsuit was filed in the first place. Um, And to just, you know, we do these things to try to get people thinking outside of the box and outside of the cage. We live in a community that um, is very progressive and very forward thinking and full of creative people that... um, we feel can come together and come up with different ideas for how to help folks rather than incarcerating them. So you were just saying we're watching what goes on here. People are paying attention to this the, the jail population. Right. I think that um, it's easy to to not see what happens. You know, you can walk by the jail and a lot of folks don't even know that it's a jail. Uh, it looks like an office building. It looks like Smallwood. It looks like Smallwood. It blends in with everything else <laughs> Did I that's say right that? there. <laughs> I sure didn't. <laughs> 
Yeah, um, well, that's kind of true. I mean, it's a big block building. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we just want to make sure that um, that we are staying up to date on things that are going on. We think that it's a very important matter in the community, and we want other mm-hmm. folks to uh, pay attention as well. Have you toured the jail? I have not. Okay. Oh, you need to do you that. You need to do that. I'm to. sure the sheriff would probably uh, allow you to do that. Maybe uh, we can set an appointment after yeah. this. Yeah. The last time, I mean, I've toured the jail several times. The last time I was in there, I, I I wasn't touring, but I wasn't arrested either. I was playing bingo with some of the inmates. On, one of, one <laughs> I of was the, waiting to see where this was going. <laughs> one, of the, one of the programs that the sheriff has going in there, that uh, Wayne Martin is a person who started this program, and I think, I don't know how, how often, but the inmates go in there and play bingo, and I was in there. It was at the time when they, I think the population was at a very high level and there were bunks on or mattresses on the recreation floor. And it certainly was not a pleasant place to be. I, the bingo game was kind of fun, but I, I was ready to go as soon as it was over. But, uh, Sheriff, I want you to sort of address that issue. I mean, it's not I, – I don't think you would say that it's a very pleasant place to be to be put and that the conditions are not – what you would probably want them to be. Well, I wouldn't say it's so draconian as that, but it's certainly not a pleasure farm either. It's a jail. Mm -hmm. It's a jail where people are confined for allegedly committing crimes. Eventually, that'll be determined or adjudicated by a court. The crowding issue has changed dramatically in the last two years. I'm certainly not going to minimize it. It's still a problem, and it's going to continue to be a problem for this county. As we continue to grow in population, I think you can expect that a certain percentage of people, which will increase as well, will be arrested for crimes, and they'll be put in the jail. We've reached now the physical limitations of the building. Uh, I can't go up, and I can't go out. Uh, the only In public safety, after four decades of this, uh, I only see a, a movement when there's what we call a public safety crisis, and that will soon come about. When, uh, again, somebody who's in the jail files a suit and it becomes a class action suit and then the federal courts will intervene after they try less intrusive methods and a cap. But they'll finally come down and say, you're going to have to move these people. And when we do, the bill to the taxpayers will become enormous. Mm-hmm. And there's no way around that. Absolutely not. Not unless you build another facility. And as some people have said, if you build it, they will come type of thing, which is sort of a is sort of easy to say that, but sometimes the, the facts don't bear it out. You have a certain segment of the population that's going to commit a crime. Period. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, we have some phone calls. Let's go to Ross on the phone. Ross. Hello. Hello, Ross. Go ahead. Hi. Um, well, actually, it's a good segue from the, the the comment that was just made. I I was struck both by what I've been kind of hearing about the seeming kind of inevitability of the high incarceration levels in our county, and also the fact, the, the, the kind of fact that was thrown out earlier that the jail was built in 86 with a designed maximum capacity of 124. And that's just, uh, so my, I'm really struck by that because it seems that people, presumably not dumb people, presumably people with an eye towards the future and an eye towards thinking ahead, thought that in 1986, 124 people incarcerated would keep the county safe. That would be an adequate number for safety. So I'm curious, um, it would just kind of like ask everyone, what has happened in the last, I, I don't think human nature has gotten that much more criminal. And while the population of the county, the county has grown, I don't think um, it's grown to that extent to make sense of that spike. So um, why did in 1986 people think that the incarceration rate we would need would kind of max out at 124. And today there's this kind of inevitability that it's in the 230s, 240s, and, and just can't go down. Well, let's, uh, I want to ask, uh, the sheriff can certainly answer that, but Michael Hunt was here as well, and I don't know if you have any historical recollections of, of that. I, I, you know, I was here, too, in 1986 when the, the discussions were made about the Justice Center and, um, and all. But, Michael, do you... Uh, you know, do you have any way to react to – can you react to this question? No. I, I. They have jail planners and people that plan for how big the jail is. Our, other, our jail before this one was smaller than that and certainly a, a, a lot uh, worse. Um, and it was built a long time ago. And so I, I think population, I think um, – I, I don't know that 
changing crime patterns uh, matter. Maybe we have more drugs now than we did then. Uh, that's so we get more people in jail. But I don't have a, an answer as to why uh, it goes up, any magic answer. Sheriff? Well, I wasn't a part of the planning committee on the jail then. I was uh, with another law enforcement organization entirely and uh, had no input at all into it. Uh, there was a citizens group uh, that met with some people. And uh, a lot of times the planning doesn't center around that. It centers around what's available uh, for fiscal support. Right. And uh, if you can support it, you'll build it. If you can't, you make it smaller. Period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, part of my recollection uh, of that time, there were people that said, you know, if you they were against building the Justice Building because right. if, if you build it at 124 beds, you're just going to fill it up and it's not going to be big enough and, and all that. And, you know, eight, 1986 to me doesn't seem that long ago. Mm-hmm. And so it was it, – it is kind of uh, – you know, when, when you see the second generation of this debate coming on, it's, it's a little um, uncomfortable, I'd mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. So – I do believe that that jail, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but shortly after um, the jail that we have now was built in 1986, it it was very soon overcrowded. I think the first day it opened, it was. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, and I'm 124, and as you know, the sheriff said, there have been some efforts to make it so that almost twice that many, well, twice that many people can actually be incarcerated in the jail and still be under some, you know be legal it's a family of eight building a two-bedroom home because that's what they can afford right that's sort of what happened uh, i think at the time well we're gonna have to take a short break we've got three more callers and ross i appreciate that call and that question uh you're listening to noon edition we're talking about uh the overcrowding overcrowding conditions in jails and decarcerate monroe county is here michael hunt from the public defender's office and sheriff jim kennedy will be right back This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville, information at smithville.net, and from Premier Ortho, online at mypremierortho.com. You can take WFIU with you by downloading podcasts directly to your PC, Mac, or MP3 player. Programs such as Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, and short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, and Play and Opera Reviews are all available on demand. Pick them up at WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? The WFIU News Team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Catch the Friday feature just after 8.30 during Morning Edition, just before Noon Edition, and at 5.45 during All Things Considered. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times along with Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today we have three guests with us in the studio, Monroe County Sheriff Jim Kennedy, Monroe County Public Defender Michael Hunt, and Aaron Marshall from the local organization Decarcerate Monroe County. If you have questions or comments, phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. Or you can join the live chat at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition. And while you're at it, you can follow us on Twitter, at Noon Edition. We have three callers, but before I get to them, I really do want to sort of come back to this general, uh, this general concept. And, and I want to turn to Aaron again and, and just ask about um, – well, not, not just Aaron. I guess everybody. I mean, this is – is this an issue that can be handled at the local level? Because there are a lot of, a lot of laws that would say if someone is charged with a certain offense, who's going to go through the – the justice system and in the justice system, our our prosecutor's office, our public defender, there's a there's a trial, there's a, a, a verdict. If the verdict's guilty, there's a sentencing of some sort, and there are some state regulations as to you know what's going to happen. So, can we really deal with this on the local level, Aaron? 
I think that we can. I think that we can make great changes to the local system and that we can then serve as a model to other counties and to um, to other communities. And I think that there are definitely things that we could do to decrease the number of folks who are going into the jail. Um, we could expand late-night public transportation. We could um, not charge adults for public intoxication. It's not illegal to be intoxicated or to be in public. Um, we should not incarcerate men for failure to pay child support when the issue is poverty. We've talked to a lot of women locally who say, you know, um, my children's father is not able to pay his child support in full, but he pays me when he has money or he watches the children so that I can go to work. Um, and they have absolutely no power over whether or not those men are incarcerated. Um, we could trim the police department. That's not a popular thing. That's not something that a lot of folks want to hear. But research has shown that more police does not necessarily mean um, less crime, and it doesn't mean safer communities. It just means more arrests. So I'm not saying fire people, but I'm saying um, don't hire new folks, and when someone retires, don't replace them. So I think that, yes, there are definitely things that we can do locally um, to make changes. Okay. I'm going to let uh, the two of them re respond to this, but we're, we, we're lighting up with phone calls, so we need to get to, uh, to our phones. Jim is next. Actually, we I think it's Lauren. Oh, Lauren's next? Okay, let's get to Lauren. Do we have Lauren or Jim? If not, looks like they're gone. Let's get to Mary. Mary? Hello? Hello, Mary. Hi. I I keep hearing the figure that future jails are built on the basis of third grade reading rates and that they project out from that to determine need. I assume that's not exactly true, but I wonder what the correlation between educational attainment levels in at any grade level, are with estimates of future jail populations. Um, actually, the state of Arizona does use uh, fourth grade reading levels or um, the reading levels of children who are in fourth grade to determine um, how many folks um, they should plan on being in their prisons later on. Like I was saying, low literacy is really related to um, a person's chances to being in prison. Mm -hmm. And the state of Arizona does use that. Seems like a great in, in, in argument for more education. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, Jim or Michael, do you have any comment about that? Well, I'm certainly not against more education. I don't know <laughs> that the correlation is that strong between reading level. I see when I look at uh, the booking sheets, I see so many of these people that are unemployed. And they're unemployed, perhaps, as Aaron points out, because of education or lack thereof. They're in there. Uh, they're not employed because of substance abuse problems. They're unemployed because of mental health problems, perhaps. Employment's a big factor, and I see it all the time, and it's, uh, it's a shame. And then when we do get somebody who's employed, uh, their job is then becomes very tenuous mm -hmm. because they're not going to be mm -hmm. released. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go back to the phones. We've, uh, again, got several callers. Let's try to get Lauren on next. Lauren? Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I guess I'm concerned, especially with a couple stories that I saw in the paper lately with people, one person who died in the jail and one person who died shortly after leaving the jail. I'm concerned about um, access to health care and just the increasing trend towards isolation at the local jail. I think video visitation was installed and in-person visitation has been eliminated. It seems to me that community oversight and transparency is really important to having safe and even decent conditions at the jail. And I was wondering um, for everyone if there's a way to reverse this trend towards isolation and kind of increase transparency in, reg in regard to jail conditions. Uh, Sheriff? Well, actually, it's, it's strange that uh, the phone caller feels that way. We've actually increased the number of people who can visit. We've increased the length of their visitation and the number of times they can visit in one week. Is that by it, by video instead of it certainly is, face? and you know, strangely enough, I've had one complaint since we've done that. Mm -hmm. uh, well, and I, I would also say, just as a citizen, um, I've visited the jail on an annual basis for several years um, with a, a group of people, and I've never had they've never said no. I mean, it's always yes, please come on over, bring your people. We want you to see what's going on here. So, um, I would support the sheriff's um, efforts or claim that he's making great efforts towards as much transparency as possible. Yeah, I want to ask Lauren about that. I mean, are you basing that on something uh, in particular? Well, the just knowing that the 
video visitation was installed instead of in-person visitation, and there were um, either screens, I think, put up on the windows and things like that. I guess the other thing that I had heard as well was that um, sort of a concern about whether the jail grievance procedure was publicly available, so the grievances that prisoners are filing that I think led to um, the cap in the first place. I, I was interested in that being more publicly available to make sure that that kind of transparency is possible. Mm-hmm. Are you? Is there a grievance procedure, Sheriff? There certainly is. And is it, it's available, publicly available? What do you mean publicly? Certainly. Some of the grievances would be. Others are not. When they complain about, I don't want to be in cell A because the person I'm testifying is in cell C, and we, when we mix in the day room, I, I'm safe, I'm, I have a safety problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, the vast majority of grievances, frankly, center around health care. Mm-hmm. Michael, with uh, your clients, I mean, if, they, if one of your clients makes a grievance about what's going on in the jail, you would have access to that, would you not? Um, not well, you? if they tell us, yeah. yes, but uh, no, we don't get any. If, if there's something written up, uh, we may get that later. Um, they certainly, and, and I would concur about the health care. Um, you know, we had this discussion a few years ago when they, when they did away with a a doctor who was there all the time or most of the time to this contract, which uh, – and that's all fiscal. They did they, – it was cheaper to do this. So a client can tell me I need these certain medications. Um, I tell them to turn a slip into the nurse um, and I can sometimes mention it to the jail personnel, but they don't have to follow my directions or, or my client's directions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tell them if they're – ill or have a problem, uh, keep turning in the, the, the medical slips. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have a Here. member of our group who's been trying to gain access to uh, medical grievance records from the jail for about the past year and has been unable to do so. We've also um, asked to have information about who is in the jail, why they are there, the average length of stay. Um, to be able to have that information would give us a really great basis for coming up with some creative ideas about solutions and and alternatives. Um, and the only thing that we were given was a snapshot of a single day in the jail from November 6, 2008, of who was there at that time. But that doesn't really give you any sort of information about, you know, in general, what folks are there for. Are they awaiting trial? Um, are they serving time? What sorts of things have they been arrested for? What are their um, demographic backgrounds and things like that? All right, we need to get to the next caller. So Chris is next. Chris? Hello, Chris. Um, yeah. Go right ahead. Yeah, hello? Yeah, go right ahead, yeah. Chris. Um, I uh, thought of something. In 1985, uh, Indiana adopted the good faith exception to the exclusionary rule, and that is for uh, police officers no longer absolutely need probable cause to arrest someone. And um, so that happened in 1985. So then that's why the population could be increasing in the jails, because the police now are, uh, do, not, do not need probable cause. They can just say that they believe something, and they can just say that they were doing their job. And meanwhile, someone spent a long time in jail before, they're, uh, before they get justice. Well, so, we have uh, you know, an attorney who deals with a lot of, uh, a lot of people who are, are charged, and we have the sheriff who's also an attorney and a former police officer. What are their it, opinions about that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask them. Okay. Is that true? My, the good faith exception to the uh, Fourth Amendment fit the probable cause situation didn't abolish the probable cause standard. No, it did not, but it, but it, but it added – it added where the police do not absolutely need probable cause. They can say that they just believe something, and they're 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 not responsible. The probable cause determination is not made. It's made by a police officer initially. It's reviewed within forty-eight hours by a neutral and detached magistrate. Right, and they and they will and the magistrate will say that they arrested someone in good faith, and then they will proceed with the proceedings, and they will stay in jail. Well, that, uh, that's my point. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the good faith exception is used to keep people in jail. <laughs> that's absolutely uh, true. Um, Michael Hunt, can you can you weigh in on this? Have and you that happened would, at the same time that the jail was built and it doubled in population? Now it's doubled again. What you know, whatever. Anyway, that's that's my only comment. 
Okay. Thanks, Thanks Chris. Mike, Michael, can you uh, – has this been a problem that you've noticed? No. I, the only good faith that we run into is with search and seizure if they – uh, make a mistake in the, the search warrant or something, or and, and then we bring it before the court. I, I haven't had. I mean, people disagree with police officers all the time whether they should be arrested. But I, I haven't. We haven't brought up the, any good faith problems that I see. All right, let's go to Charles. Charles. Yes, this is Charles, and I'm uh, pulled over on the side of the road over by Greensburg, Indiana, uh-huh. and had uh, some background on Monroe County. Um, and back in 1986, the commissioners were Charlotte Zillow and Warren Henniger and I think Bill Rogers. And they are the ones that decided on the uh, size of the jail. And since then, there's been a, a large push by the um, legal community in order to make their living, uh, in order to have a new jail out at the Thompson's property. I uh, resisted that when I was on the county council. And I'd also like to suggest that the United States of America has the highest incarceration rate of any industrialized country, and that Monroe County is just following that example. And I guess my specific question or comment would be to Bob Zalsberg or the WFIU coordinator is where are the people that have the authority to put people in jail on this program? That's the nine judges that we have. And most of them are off duty on Friday afternoon doing whatever they're doing, but they're not there answering the public's question. And I was wondering if they were contacted and they uh, declined to attend. Thank you. Thanks, Charles. Um, I didn't contact any of the judges. I don't know if our producers did or not. That's the best answer I've got. Thanks for, thanks for pulling over to call us, though, Charles. We appreciate it. All right. And the next caller is Bruce. Bruce? Yeah. Yeah, we got Bruce. Bruce, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. you hear me okay? Yes, sir. Go ahead. Yeah, I'd like to echo the uh, previous caller. Uh, the sheriff uh, really doesn't keep anybody in jail. Uh, and uh, the people that decide who stay in jail are the judges. And uh, we've got a couple problems here. One is the bond schedule and the way that works with the cash bond in Monroe Absolutely. County. And the, uh, the other one is uh, uh, probation, and uh, a lot of people uh, just uh, who are on supervised probation probably uh, should be on unsupervised probation. And the, uh, one of the reasons that so many people end up in jail is they're on probation, and they, they don't commit another crime, but they commit a technical violation of probation. And so... Uh, our criminal justice system here in Monroe County works pretty well with people with money, uh, middle-class people, people with education, people with something to lose. Uh, the problem is you got a whole lot of people that don't have anything to lose, so they don't do too well in community corrections. And uh, so you put them on probation, and they're probably going to head back to jail. So uh, we've got... Uh, especially supervised probation. So if you're just interested in jail overcrowding, that's the source of it, is, uh, you know, the way the judges set bond, cash bond, uh, and technical violations of probation. All right. Anybody have a problem? Yeah, anybody want to respond to Bruce? Well, I've I've worked in both the local system and the federal system. The federal system, you don't see a bail situation, except very rarely. Uh, Most people are either set free or they're put in a a facility. Here we have a a large number of people that uh, are put on probation by the judges, and it's a judicially imposed uh, activity. Uh, But they're not put back in jail immediately. Most of them are counseled about a a violation. it occurs again, occurs again, and then, as the judges have pointed out, there should be a penalty for violation of probation. Now, that's their theory. And then they're put into the, the jail, and at that point, uh, they're not allowed to post a bond. Uh, that could create, it does create a population situation, certainly. Okay. okay. Thanks a lot, Bruce. We're going to move on to a question. That, yeah, we've got like that, that six was, questions. Go ahead. Yeah, there's one that was uh, has been in since the beginning of the program. What percentage of inmates at the jail, in your opinion, pose a clear, direct threat to the health and well-being of themselves or society? 
Jim, do you have a percentage? I have. We, we classify people in the jail to minimum, medium, and high. Uh, high risk right now, essentially medium and high risk, uh, occupy about 64 to 70 beds out of the facility. Mm-hmm. So uh, most of the others are, are what we classify minimum security. Uh, that's what mm-hmm. that's on our classification, and that has has to do with behavior, the crime committed, previous criminal activity. And those minimum security are, are awaiting some kind of trip to, to the courts, probably? They're, almost all of those are on, uh, essentially, they're pretrial. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, here's a message that came in. It says, early in the show, the sheriff claimed that he doesn't think that, ed- that education or other prevention programs might work, though he didn't give a reason, and cited the need for, quote-unquote, protecting the society. From what I've heard, many people have been locked up for misdemeanors and violations, such as failure to pay child support, things that don't seem to be issues of keeping our community safe. I wonder if locking some of these folks up might actually make our community less safe, as time in jail often causes individuals to lose their jobs and homes, connections to their families, this this disconnect being heightened by recent decisions to put screens on the windows and use video visitation instead of in-person visitation. Doesn't taking fundamental resources and rights from people make them potentially more volatile in our communities? What other alternatives to com- incarceration could there be? Well, first of all, I didn't say the prefatory comment uh, that initiated all that. Uh, I said education seems to be a factor and also employment and things like that, and I said that can contribute to unemployment. Uh, I don't think it's my job to find alternatives to incarceration. My job is to receive prisoners that are sent to me by the courts of the state. Let's talk about the screen situation. It's come up a couple of times. Um, let's let's address it. In the in the past, if you would drive south on College, um, you would you would see people standing out to the left across the street from the jail, holding up signs and babies and communicating uh, one way or another, uh, or, or attempting to with folks that are incarcerated uh, upstairs. Um, and that was problematic. And and could you talk about that whole situation a little bit, please? It was a certain a certain problematic, but also the screens were put up because we had direct access they had to the window putty they were drilling holes through it putting dental floss down and bringing contraband back up into the jail that was one of the reasons we did it the other reason was also also it was to cut down on both the college avenue uh, displays and the alley activity certainly and why was that a problem the college avenue displays well uh Partly because we had people who wanted to go topless in one case or two cases, bottomless. Uh, that's conduct that's not Okay, that's, uh, that's really all I needed to hear about it. Okay, I got another one. Okay. Uh, here we go. Uh, the U.S. incarcerates the largest number of people in the world. The incarceration rate in the U.S. is four times the world average. Of those incarcerated, African Americans are over six times as likely to be incarcerated as whites. Latinos, over twice as likely. Here are my questions. Is this troubling? Is this racism in the justice system? And what does this say about our society? I think we need to, I think that's kind of a big question. If we could keep it local, your answer, that would be helpful. Anybody? Yeah, we have about five minutes to go, so. Yeah. And we have another caller, so. We'll, well, I can't give you a racial <laughs> breakdown, but uh, just from observation, uh, African Americans are a small minority in our facility. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hispanic uh, people are a small minority. The vast majority of the people in the jail are Caucasian males. Erin? I do think that racism um, is a problem within uh, prisons in general. Um, Again, I don't have the exact breakdown of what the demographics are of folks in the jail because we haven't been able to attain that information. but I would like to see that information. As far as, I do want to touch on just for a moment, um, the barriers on the window. I don't think that it is fair to place barriers on the window because of a couple instances of show-and-tell activities, as they have been called in the past. The majority of the time that folks are out either in the alleyway behind the jail or across the street, they are holding up babies, and they are holding up signs that say, I love you and I miss you. And, you know, they just want folks who are inside to be able to see their children and to be able to have that communication. And I think that that's what the first caller was touching on as far as the jail um, being punitive is that um, people are being punished. We're not putting people in there um, and, you know, 
it's it's not a hotel. It's not a heyday. It's not um, a pleasure farm, as I think um, the sheriff acknowledged that it was not. It is a space where people are punished and their families are being punished as well by not being able to communicate with them either through the windows or by having personal contact um, visits. All right, let's go to the phones. Bill is on the line. Bill, we've got about three minutes. Hi. Go right ahead. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm just listening to this debate, and, you know, what the sheriff is telling us, what a lot of people are telling us here is that um, there are just a certain number of people that need incarceration, right? That there's just a certain percentage of every society that are criminals, and I find this really offensive, actually. I think that, you know, the second generation of this debate is, in fact, here, and what we're trying to do, what Aaron's trying to do, is we're questioning the very foundations of this coercive, inequal society, um, we believe that crime and violence in, in every society is a direct result of political, social, and economic inequality. And without looking at that, we're really being intellectually lazy here. Um, I think that violence begets violence, and I, I would like to know what other problems do you guys think disappear when we lock them up in a box? Well, I'll let the panelists uh, address that if they want. I don't know what there is to address there. Well. Yeah, let, let me say I, I appreciate your your comments. I I think your um, take on this is is second generation. I think you said right or something. But um, there are I I believe there are certain people that have committed crimes and need to be incarcerated. Right. I, I'm saying that as the host of the show, not as one of the panelists. So I, you know I, your your points and the points Aaron has made have been. Excellent about there are a lot of things we can do that will perhaps um, make people allow people to get out of poverty, uh, to allow people to have better, more education. Those are all certainly issues. But if you're saying that you don't think we need to have jails and that nobody should be locked up, I can't agree with that. I think that the important part of that um, comment is that. Um there can be an attitude or a belief that there are certain people within the population who just who do need to be locked up in that um, there's something inherently wrong with these folks or that they are going to make these decisions no matter what. And I, I think that, um, that that mentality does exist and that that is something that we need to work against. And that I, I think that all of us on the panel have agreed about a lot of things today. Um, folks who are listening can't see, but we've been nodding our heads mm-hmm. um, to a Good lot point. of comments that have come in. And so I think that we are on the same page about a lot of things and that that's a really great place to start and to come up with creative solutions and ways to, um, to deal with our system locally. All right. Jim, any final no. final? Nope. Enjoyed the conversation. <laughs> I have a very quick question for for Michael. Very do you feel good. like you have enough public defenders, or do you need more? Oh, we could always use more. Always use but, more. But you know, we're surviving without cuts, so it's back to money again. Okay. All right. Very uh, interesting topic, and we covered a lot of ground. Thank you to Jim Kennedy, Sheriff Jim Kennedy, Monroe County Public Defender Michael Hunt, and Aaron Marshall from Decarcerate Monroe County. For uh, Mary Catherine Carmichael and our two producers, Dalton Main and Gretchen Frazee, as well as engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Also, Premier Ortho, a division of Premier Healthcare helping people living with injuries and chronic back, spine, or joint pain to get back on their feet. Premier Ortho, 333-1933, online at mypremierortho.com.